Hey, sports fans. Welcome to Greg Medford Show. I'm your host, Greg. Uh, we're coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona, in a little studio off the side of our factory. Uh, around the walls are little bits of flotsam and jetsam that I've collected. Everything's got meaning. I know people ask me about it all the time. I get little notes, uh, little text messages and emails because people know my number. If you do have a specific question about something, shoot it out, and I'll, I'll usually answer right away. Um, in our continuing effort, you know, we've got a really interesting time in America. We were just kicked off of YouTube uh, a couple days ago over an interview we did with Sonny Borelli, the president of the Arizona, or is he the head of the Arizona Senate? Is he the majority leader? He's not the majority leader. He's just the Arizona Senate. He was one of the guys kind of leading the charge on the recount effort that went on after the 2020 election. And this is really fascinating, okay? So we basically talked with him, and we walk, we, we, we walk kind of a fine line as we do the show because we've entered a new phase in America where if we talk about things that tech companies run by East Indian immigrants don't like what we say. They just disappear us. So YouTube, Google, and uh, Twitter. Twitter does it too. And now Twitter is not so much because Musk is the coming. But the other guys, man, if they're run by somebody from India, they're done with us very quickly. And it's very upsetting. As an American who likes to kind of say what's on my mind. I got this Southwest candor about me from my cowboy grandfather. I just can't let it go. So in the last week we were kicked off of YouTube and we actually were kind of self-censoring, um, which I don't like. I do not like having my thoughts curtailed for fear of being deleted. So we've been very I have very strong opinions about what happened in 2020, and I'm absolutely certain it wasn't all above board. Having said that, we are very careful about what we talk about when we brought folks in to discuss the topic, because we wanted to be really factual. We, did, we wanted to not sound like I had a fur hat with horns on it out in the hallway I was going to put on to go to some QAnon rally. We wanted to be as, you know, kind of newsworthy, uh, news righteous, uh, as neutral as possible. And I, and if you watch the Sonny Borelli interview with, uh, between, uh, uh, him and me, um, you'll see that I'm kind of picking at him and I'm, I'm, I'm pulling and I'm pushing and prodding him. I'm wanting answers. And it was, it was a challenging thing because I had a great discussion with him and I wasn't happy with the outcome. I wasn't happy with the answers I got. Well, that was done, I don't know, October, I think, and we were kicked off this week for it. And 
What's amazing is if you go back through and watch it, we make absolutely no claims about the outcomes of the 2020 election. We were talking about election procedure in Arizona and where there is porosity and where there are there is sloppiness and where there are, uh, is space for bad actors to step in and do things. We were positing and discussing how to have honest and fair elections as we grow to be millions and millions of people and you can't have everybody put a marble in a jar because it becomes logistically impossible to kind of control it all you know part of the challenge of elections is there's 350 million 330 million of us it's a lot of stuff to aggregate really quickly so we have this discussion we get kicked off and we were almost apoplectic about it so i went through the dumb little procedure which always it, it always affects zero change we did a little appeal to YouTube and said, hey, we were really factual. You could see I was very critical and pulling at my guest. We didn't make broad stroke claims. We tried to stay very factually based, and we were exploring how to make sure elections stay clean. It was a very honest broker discussion. And within an hour, they undid their decision and let us opened us back up and put the video back up. So in, in, in going along with that, we're... Uh, we have another guest in today. Um, we've got major challenges. I've, in my years, half century banging around the planet, I've never seen my country so screwed up. And um, clearly, the we had the Kent State massacre. We had stuff going on in Vietnam. We've had the Civil War. You know, people say it's awful. It's the worst it's ever been. And I said, you know, there was a period where thousands of us lined up and shot each other. <laughs> We're not there. It, it's not the worst it's ever been. But we do have a modern kind of caustic political divide, and it it uh, tarnishes us all. And uh, since the press won't do its damn job and be honest brokers and speak truth to power and report honestly to the electorate, um, citizen soldiers have to pick up the current day musket and have these discussions. And that's what I'm here doing. This is my musket. I'm too old, fat, and ugly to kick down doors and shoot bad guys for the country anymore, so all I can do is talk to folks and see if we can peel back the layers of the onion and find the sweet spot and uh, reveal a little bit of truth. Hopefully you guys, I appreciate you being here. Hopefully you uh, come to uh, organize your thoughts a little bit, get a deep dive introduction to some people that are running in Arizona state politics. And if you're not from Arizona, it's a great time to be reflective about the topics of the day because these do affect Pennsylvania, Michigan, New York, California, Washington, Oregon. We're going to talk about topics today here in Arizona they affect everybody. They affect uh, baby formula. They affect international policy. Um, they affect our labor market, our supply chain crisis. And these are all things that are affecting every one of us. Uh, so without much further ado, I've got Justin Olson in today. He's a longtime Arizona, I believe you're an Arizona native, right? Yeah, that's correct. Born and raised in Mesa. Born and raised in Mesa. I'm going to ask him if he's a Mormon at some point, and I'm guessing you are. That's correct, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that squeaky clean look that Mormons get. Uh, and uh, and they make great neighbors, for those of you who don't live uh, either near the mothership in Salt Lake or here in Phoenix. Mormons are always good neighbors. Um, it, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you coming in. I know you're running for U.S. Senate. You're running for uh, the seat that Mark Kelly currently sits atop. And... Uh, and, and you're kind of a late entry to the race. How you doing? 
I'm doing well. You know, thanks so much for having me here, Greg. It's such an impressive factory that you've got here manufacturing these these knives. And it's such a, a, a beautiful office, the memorabilia that you've got here. And, you know, how am I doing? You know, I'm excited to be in this race and feeling very, very optimistic. You know, I got into this race because I'm so concerned about the future of our country. You know, and I looked at the field and thought, you know what? We've got to make sure that we put our best foot forward to run against Mark Kelly. And that's why I got into this race so that we can beat Mark Kelly. But more importantly, we can guarantee that we replace Mark Kelly with a proven conservative. Someone who's going to stand for our Arizona conservative values is going to charge up that hill in Washington, D.C. and and fight against the establishment. That's what I've been doing in my private sector work. That's what I've been doing in my public service. And that's what I'll do as the next United States senator from Arizona. Let's do the deep dive and go back. I like to get a little texture of people here. You know, people know about me because they know the texture. We are, as human beings, I think we are. You know how uh, rocks, if you check their magnetic polarity, you can tell what direction they were facing because of the positive and negative polling of the earth and how the molecules line up. I think as humans, we're the same. I think we humans are the same. So let's dive back into while you were magma still forming into the rock. Um, you went to high school and college here in Arizona? I did, yeah. I graduated from Mountain View High School, went to ASU, got an MBA in finance, and I've worked in the, in the private sector and also worked in, in public service as well. All right. And then uh, tell me what you did in the private sector. Yeah, so in the private sector, I've worked as a tax manager for a Fortune 500 company. But more importantly, I've been very honored to have worked as the CFO for Turning Point USA. I've been in the trenches just fighting that good fight, teaching the rising generation to love our country, to honor its founding, and to fight to protect and preserve those principles that made our country the greatest country in the history of the world. Yeah. For the, a lot of you who don't know, you, you might see Charlie Kirk bouncing around there online. He's got a pretty significant presence um he is one of the guys and you had, have you had a lot of chance a lot of face time with him obviously finances and guys who run organizations uh chat finances pretty regularly i imagine absolutely worked hand in hand with with charlie such a great great guy and it's such an honor to be part of that organization it's really the leading movement in the in the conservative effort to try and save our country because we know that if we don't stand up and fight we will lose our country just like ronald reagan said you know that freedom is never more yeah. than one generation one, away yeah. from extinction and that's that's the great work that we've been doing at turning point usa that's what i've been doing in my my public service and that's what i hope to do in the united states senate he's an interesting character i think he's got one of the key, I, I, you know he seems like he's a really young guy is he mid-20s he is late late 20s now late 20s now yeah. but he popped on the scene and uh you know, I fancy myself a reasonably well-read guy with a good vocabulary, and I see a young guy, and I'm like, oh, he has a robust vocabulary. He's well-read across a uh, broad spectrum of topics, and he comes at it at a fast pace, and he puts it in context with history and America. And uh, he's one of the he's one of the few young guys I hear talk where I'm like, oh, all right, fan freaking fantastic. Reminds me a little bit of Jordan Peterson, uh, young political as opposed to you know, middle, post-middle age intellectual, but a similar genre of kind of muscle. Um, tell me about your experience working at Turning Point, what that was like. Oh, it's just been absolutely amazing. You know, it's such an incredible success story. You know, as you mentioned, Charlie Kirk came out of high school and decided, you know what, I'm not going to go to college. Instead, I'm going to start a youth movement on college campuses. And, and, and it grew just so tremendously fast. Yes, and, you know, I, I've been to the events and I don't even know about this. So yeah. uh, how are the, how is the membership 
gathered or counted? Are there a lot of members? Absolutely. So we've got operations on every major college campus across the country. And now we've expanded into high school campuses as well. And for a number of years, the last maybe five to six years, the, uh, the, the, the organization was really well known among the youth. But what we've been doing in the last couple of years is really branching out into the broader community. And, and that's, so, what, that's what got me. Exactly. And so now people are, are seeing, you know, like we've hosted these events where, where there are thousands of conservatives coming together to, to, to unite and to be educated and to, to learn about what we can do to save our country because we absolutely have to have all hands on deck or we are going to lose the future. We're not going to be able to pass on the freedoms that we all love and cherish to our kids and our grandkids. Yeah. I want to ask you something. I mean, uh, I, it sounds like you're a man of faith. I think you have, uh, I think you have almost two basketball teams worth of kids, right? You have <laughs> nine, right. nine kids, right? We've got nine. If you count the dog, then there's 10. So. Oh my God. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and, uh, and your wife has already earned herself a little place in the afterlife. <laughs> she she <laughs> absolutely thing. has. A mom of nine makes she a saint. So <laughs> tell me right. the ages of your kids. My oldest You is... can give me the range. Yeah, if you're right. if you're a yeah. real old fashioned dad, you don't know the age of all your kids. <laughs> My oldest is eighteen and a half, he'll turn nineteen this summer. The baby's four and a half, he'll turn five in September. So the oldest just uh, started a mission for the church, so he's out in Romania, so oh, bordering wow, on fantastic. Ukraine, and yeah. uh, it's been there for about four weeks, having a tremendous experience. So we're super, super proud of him. We got uh, two others that are in high school right now. The next one will be starting high school are, next year. Are you guys year. done? You gonna have more? I think that we're probably done. My wife never rules anything out, though. But we've never had our, our our youngest be as old as four and a half. So this is probably it. We look forward to grandkids in the not too distant future. So uh, <laughs> okay. I miss having the little babies, but uh, this is probably it for the Olson household. All right, pretty pretty awesome. Um, so uh, you you did uh, some finance work, tax finance work here in town, and then uh, work for Charlie uh, at Turning Point. And then is this the next foray? Is this the next next chapter? It, it is, yeah. And so, you know, in addition to my my private sector work, I've also served in, in public office. So I was elected to the state legislature in 2010. You remember the environment. Obama was in the White House. It was the year of the Tea Party. It felt a lot like right now, you know, the 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 frustration that, that we all felt when we saw, you know, these corporate bailouts. We had too big to fail, unsustainable spending, and we were concerned about the future of our country at that time. And, and that's what got me motivated to run for the legislature. At the time, we had an unprecedented budget crisis, a $3.6 billion deficit. And the establishment said, look, we can't balance this budget. We've got to raise taxes. They passed a record property tax increase, a record sales tax increase. They actually sold the state capital and they debt financed it back for years into the future. I said, look, we've got to expect more of our elected officials. Arizonans, we had been hit hard by the Great Recession and the government's asking us to pay more of our hard-earned resources for our government. I just thought, this is wrong. So I ran for the legislature, ran on a platform of fiscal responsibility, low taxes, getting the economy growing again, and delivered on that promise. I became the, the appropriations leader, worked hand-in-hand -hand with that great patriot, Andy Biggs, who was the budget leader in the Senate at the time. And we passed... He's making waves now. Eddie. He's making waves now. He's been, the, uh, of course, the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus and uh, just a great, great patriot. And we passed my budget bills in my first year as the appropriations chairman. It was the first structurally bu balanced budget that the state had seen in years. And my record of, of conservative successes goes on. I'd be happy to talk at length about any of those, like defunding Planned Parenthood, defunding Obamacare, getting an A rating from the National Rifle Association, funding the Border Patrol, or, or excuse me, the, the Border Strike Force. And uh, 
voting to ban ballot harvesting and expanding school choice. I'm the only candidate in this race with that proven conservative record. And that's why I'm running so that we don't just beat Mark Kelly, but we replace him with someone who's going to be a conservative champion for our conservative values. We've all been let down far too many times by candidates that say the right thing on the campaign trail and then they become part of the problem with me you don't have to just take my word for it you can look to my record do you think the candidates that are in it right now we're talking about we got uh jim layman in it we got mick mcguire um we've got uh, blake masters and yourself is there anybody else uh, mark burnovich oh that's right yeah. and burnovich um do you think of that pool do you think any of them are, are wolves in sheep's clothing, not real conservatives? Well, you know, the, the problem is you, you just don't know until someone has been in office, until someone has taken that fire, that stood up to those challenges of of the, the establishment and stood up to the, the pressures that exist in policymaking. You know, I'll give you an example. I'm just recently at, at the Arizona Corporation Commission, where I, I currently serve, we had folks come down and protest against an expansion of a natural gas-fired power plant in, in Coolidge. This is a power plant that we desperately need. You know, we've had rolling blackouts in California. The, yeah. the Western grid is, is short on energy. We need this expansion. Folks came down and they protested and they said, this is environmental racism. It's like, come on, you know, this is ridiculous. This is about one thing and it's about the Green New Deal and stopping any expansion of natural gas. And I, and I called it like it is and I voted for the expansion. I was the only candidate, or not candidate, the commissioner to actually vote for that expansion because of those pressures from folks coming down and protesting. And there are folks on the commission that we all so, anticipated so, would be conservatives. So did it get shut down? And it got shut down. I, I'm still pushing pushing on, on that issue, and I hope that we will reconsider it. We've got to do the right thing. I mean, this is energy that's desperately needed. But, but the point is, is that you don't know how a candidate is going to react under those circumstances until that candidate has been under fire. I'm the only candidate with that proven record. I've stood up against the establishment in our party, fought against the, the radical left in, in the uh, opposition's party, uh, stood against uh, you know the expansion of o Obamacare here in Arizona, and that's what I'll do on Capitol Hill. I'm the only candidate with that proven record. Everybody else, we've got to take their word for it. And as voters, we've been let down so many times by candidates that say the right thing on the campaign trail. And then they become part of the problem. They become Republicans in name only. They become part of the establishment. With me, you know that it's not going to happen because you can look to see. I've been fighting in this fight at Turning Point USA. I've been fighting in this fight in public service here in Arizona, and I'll do it in Washington, D.C. as the next senator from the United States, from, for the United States senator from Arizona. Yeah. Um, I guess, tell me a little tiny bit about the Corporation Commission. How many people sit on that? So there's five of us on the corporation. And how many of them are Republicans? Three Republicans, myself included. So three Republicans, two Democrats, and the and the Republican Majority Corporation Commission voted down the expansion of the gas. And, and how is the Corporation Commission dictating business expansion policy in the state of Arizona? Yeah, so that's that's the primary responsibility of the Corporation Commission is to provide that oversight for our regulated monopolies. So APS, uh, SRP is largely not regulated by the Corporation Commission. They have their own board, but this issue did have to come to the commission because it's a line-siding issue. And and we should have we should have authorized this this expansion. It's like I said desperately needed. 
And who are the other? Who were the two uh, Ding Dong Republicans who voted against energy expansion in the state of Arizona? My my, my two uh, fellow Republicans on the Corporation Commission are Leah Marquez Peterson and, and Jim O'Connor, uh, and and that's like I said, what was so surprising to me and frustrating, and I and I have advocated for reversing this position, and I hope that they will change their minds and we will reverse that decision. But nobody would have anticipated that when we were supporting conservatives on the Corporation Commission as candidates. How is that even possible? I mean, how do you have two people who call themselves Republicans going against business expansion in the energy sector in Arizona? You know, I, I think that I'm it's... I'm flabbergasted. I, I, I was flabbergasted as well. Did you talk to them? I mean, obviously, you must have a working rapport with them. What did they say? Well, you know, unfortunately, at the Corporation Commission, we have the open meeting law that prohibits us from having extensive conversations with other members of the commission with regard to any particular item that's before the commission so you guys and, can't go to dinner and, and talk so, stuff so, over. It's, so it's very siloed everything that we do is in the public meeting and so it does come as a surprise at times it certainly came as a surprise to me what i did is i follow a filed a, a letter to our docket and that's the way that we can communicate outside of the meetings because it's still in the public space and i called on my fellow commissioners to to reverse the decision to reconsider the vote we desperately need this power i'm optimistic that we might see that happen srp has made an application to have us reconsider that and hopefully we will make the right decision well i think you know part of the problem is the folks that run for public office mostly don't act like ballers so we need some goddamn ballers and i don't you know it's one of the things about uh donald trump that i did like whether you like you know love him or hate him he was like hey here's what i'm doing here's what we're gonna get done here's the mission let's get it done and it's something okay well if you can't do it like mark milley presiding general over the biggest embarrassment since the evacuation of Saigon in um, American military modern history. Not one general relieved of duty. Right. It's so wrong. There's no accountability in Washington. And I remember them all criticizing Trump because he would kind of churn and burn, which is what you got to do a lot of times when you're doing big stuff within a team. Oh, you're not my guy for that. No problem. Hey, there's other things to go do. Let me get the right guy. Making that boss man call and being a baller. And I want everybody that I vote for to be a baller. Absolutely. Um, and and so it's one of the reasons I, I kind of am a little rough language. And it's one of the reasons I'm kind of pressing. And it's one of the reasons I'm a little blunt. I'm sick of the politeness of politics. Because it it comes down to lying. Um, and people say, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned of overly polite people, right? Because being very polite is about not making waves and, or you know, we can trick ourselves in, oh, this is how we show respect to the people around us. You know, a lot of people around us don't deserve a lot of respect. The respect is earned. It's not a blank check. Um, you know, Trump earned my respect. He got my vote initially because I just wanted a troublemaker. Right. And I was sick of right. Washington business as usual. And then he earned it from me. Yeah. He actually earned a kind of blood loyalty from me because I saw what he did. He earned it. And I see most people, they just haven't earned it. And right. they don't, they honestly, they just don't have the balls to push. And I think of a friend of mine, he was working for a government agency and the vaccine mandates came down and he's a former marine we served together and uh he's as plain spoken as i am this italian guy from upstate new york he's fantastic and he says 
His boss comes and says, hey, you got to get this done. Or we're gonna leave. He goes, go ahead, fire me. Do the paperwork. I'll talk to you in two, three years when you get it done. This will all blow over by then. He was like, right. pound sand. Right, exactly. And, and the thing is, he was being a baller. Not a billionaire, not not a billionaire New York land uh, developer. I want the attitude of being ballers from the people that we send to office. Exactly. Be, so they don't get sucked into the cocktail parties and the yes men club. Um, it's one of the reasons I like Dr. Goser so much. He does not mind being an outsider that's shunned. Because he's like, I am here kicking over tables. Right. Fantastic. Exactly. And I want the same for my U.S. senator from the state of Arizona. You know, I had John McCain, who, I mean, I had words with him in public a couple times. Dude pissed me off every single time he did anything. McCain Feinkold, you know, one of his signature legislations, it's one of the biggest nightmares in the modern political landscape as far as money and PAC money goes, screwing with politics, right? Right. It's the, McCain Feingold is what Zuckerbucks were in Arizona, exactly that yep. all that threw eighty million dollars into the election. I can do. I can donate. What is it? Twenty nine hundred bucks. Exactly. But they're allowed to bring eighty million right. into the election. Right. Yeah. B- no, speak- bizarre. No, you're absolutely right. Yep. So, as a U.S. senator, you know you've got you've got things. How do you get in there as one of a hundred? Um, have you been putting together a plan? I mean, if I were running for Senate, I would be um, gunning for my opponents. Nah. I would be uh, shaking hands and 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 kissing babies every right. single day, all day long. Right. I would be going to school board meetings every single t- chance I could, even after I got elected. Right. And then I would be putting together an action plan for how I how does a junior senator step into a entrenched, archaic, backwards looking, scaredy cat bunch of mamby pamby polite i think most senators are losers because they don't get anything accomplished they don't do anything bold all they ever talk about are talking points that are bullshit that don't most americans really were worried about gas formula groceries the border how come i can't get anybody to come to my house and work on anything how come a two by four is twelve dollars right you know that's what americans are worried about and they're up there having you know esoteric discussions about uh uh a bunch of BS that doesn't affect your average Main Street USA, right? Right. No, well, absolutely. So right. it's a two-part plan as you run for Senate. And as I've talked to these Senate senatorial candidates, I don't hear a lot of what how I'm going to affect change when I get there. Right. And I'm curious about that. The second thing I'm curious about is if you're able to – you know, sometimes people say, oh, I don't want to talk about my strategy because it's my strategy. Well, there's no secret to a winning game in politics. So I, I see people not doing it. Um, so I see the gal running for governor, Corinne Taylor uh, Robeson. Well, she doesn't take any interviews. Nobody gets to talk to her. Look, I don't care how much money you throw at Arizona. You're not going to win. We don't know who you are. I see uh, Matt Salmon, whom I really like. I see him not at as many events as I see Carrie Lake. I think Carrie Lake's going to probably win the election. She's got the energy, the momentum, and she is outworking everybody, and I respect it. So can you tell us a bit, a bit about your ground game yeah, uh, of, of the campaign? Because I love this component right. of, of of the political sphere. Like, right. How do you get to the game? Yeah, no, absolutely. And what's your game, and what are you doing? Talk to us about your funding a little bit. Yeah. Just, tell us about your, your team. 
Absolutely. Well, first of all, you know, like you mentioned, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. There are far too many senators to get back there and they just become part of the problem. They want to they want to climb the ranks within the Washington establishment, within yeah. the elites. You yeah. know, and that's not me. You know, I've never been one to go along to get along, you know, and, and folks can see that that's how I served here in Arizona. I was a fighter. I was a fighter against the establishment in our party and in the Democrat Party. And I was fighting for conservative values. That's what I'll do in Washington, D.C., I like telling people, look, I'm going to be the Arizona version of Mike Lee. I'm going to be the Arizona version of Ted Cruz, the Arizona version of Rand Paul. I'm going to be someone who's outspoken, championing our conservative values that are established in the Constitution so that we can pass these freedoms on to our kids and our grandkids. I'm not going back there just to 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 be a part of the problem. I'm going back there to, to make a change. And there's many ways that you can do it. Certainly using the, the bully pulpit is, is a, a, a critical For sure. component, like, like each of those senators has done. But then also we've got to be strategic. Mike Lee is a, a great example. He finds these opportunities to, to move legislation, to put, to put folks on record. For example, he had an amendment to defund OSHA's ability to enforce the vaccine mandate. And what did our Arizona Senator Mark Kelly do? Well, he voted against Arizona workers. And he said, no, you've got to receive a forced vaccination or lose your job, you know, and that's the type of strategy that we need in our Arizona senator. I'm the only senator, a candidate with legislating experience. I've demonstrated that effectiveness in this policymaking body to move the dial towards conservative values. And that's what I'll do in Washington, D.C. I'll be a fighter. I'll be a leader. I'm not going to be a backbencher. But when it gets to you know the campaign strategy. Uh, you know this is a this is a, a very very interesting race. I, I like you mentioned was the last candidate to get in. I was waiting to see what Andy Biggs was going to do. I thought he would have been a great candidate to run against Mark Kelly in the midsummer of uh, last year. He decided he's going to run for re-election. So I began doing my due diligence and making the arrangements that I needed to do to be able to 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 run a campaign. Got into the campaign in October. And we're excited. I feel very optimistic about the the chances of success in this race because I'm the only candidate with that record. And folks are sick and tired of being let down by their politicians who show up and tell them one thing on the campaign trail and then do something different in office. And I'm the only one that they can look to and say, OK, I know that I have a conservative fighter in Justin Olson. We're going to get behind him. Well, let me pick at you a little bit, all right? So you got guys who've been in the race for a few months already. You got guys who showed up with a couple million bucks thrown in. Um, what are you bringing to the table? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you get, you've got some uh, demonstrated uh, local or state uh, uh, re track record, um, which gives us some data points about you and gives us an idea where your arrow's pointing. Um we have those data points with the other guys also. We just don't have them in the political sphere. You know, I, I got a feeling um, – it'd, it'd be curious uh, how, uh, let's say, um, Mick McGuire would, would handle people protesting outside as he walks through. I mean, I think he'd be okay with it, but it's you, you make a valid point about that. Um, if we look at uh, the guys, you know, Gaynor's obviously got some money. He's got a war chest, and it matters a lot. Jim Lehman, you mean Gaynor, uh, uh, Gaynor was in the yeah, governor's yeah, race? Yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, my bad. Yeah. Um, uh, he shows up with some money, and he's able to kind of press himself into position, okay? How do you counter that? Because, it's, I mean, that's a real question. Uh, if someone wants to donate money to you, they're going to want to know, you know, what are you doing to negotiate around that? Are you, uh, you know, is the turning point connection that you have in that legion of soldiers through Charlie Kirk's universe – 
I mean, have they pledged to step in and help you? Give, give me, a, yeah. I'm, I'm or 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 do you have some baller bank account that I I don't um, you know none of my business? But are you are you writing in some check to fund yourself? How does it work? No, I, I've been a, a public servant and I've worked a, at a non nonprofit organization. So you know, I'm not independently wealthy like like Jim Lehman is, but. Or I don't have a, a benefactor like like Blake Masters does. Of course, Blake Masters, uh, f- former boss Peter Thiel, the chair, yep. uh, a board member of Facebook, gave ten million dollars to a PAC supporting Blake Masters. And so both of these candidates come in with a lot of resources. But what's exciting is that here in Arizona, we don't have uh, we have elections, we don't have auctions, and Arizonan voters are not up for sale to the highest bidder. And we've seen that many times in history when folks have come in with substantial resources, trying to buy an election, the voters have been turned off. They, they say, look, you know what? I want someone who's demonstrated that they've earned that, that, that public trust before I'm going to elect someone to high public office. And, and that's why I got into this race, because we've got to make sure that we have a candidate that can beat Mark Kelly, that's not going to fall short. And I'm concerned that if our candidate comes in with that liability, either of those two situations, then we could end up falling short. I'm the candidate that can organize and and unite and energize the Republican base because of my proven conservative record. And I've also got a demonstrated ability to win in in a challenging and competitive general election. You know, I was actually outspent in my race for the Corporation Commission by 30 to 1, Tom Steyer, that California billionaire, liberal Democrat, came in and supported my opponent with $4 million. And yet I was still successful in that race in a challenging cycle when four out of our nine Republican statewide candidates fell short. I was able to be successful. I was able to earn the support of the general election voters. And I think it's because the voters saw that I had served with the highest standards of ethics and integrity, that I was an earnest seeker of Arizona's best interest. They see that they can trust me. And I think that that's what's critical. And that's why I got into this race because I looked at the field and I thought, you know what, if I don't do everything in my power to make sure that we beat Mark Kelly and replace him with a proven conservative, then I'm gonna have to live with that question for the rest of my life. If Mark Kelly is our Senator next year, that's uh, uh, something that I don't want on my conscience that I didn't do everything within my power to get rid of him. Yeah. I scratch my head and wonder how a guy who was in the military, who was an astronaut and a patriot for a country, ends up a Democrat and, and doing kind of what they're doing right now. Right. I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Like, it just doesn't, It has, it's hard for me to wrap my head around, you know, having a science background and being in science and being in a empir- reasonably empirical environment, like being an aviator. You know, I'm a pilot. Being a, aviation is... Uh, it doesn't suffer fools kindly because right. the consequences are dire and uh, your opinions don't matter. The laws of physics really matter. So it has a tendency to people that are kind of empirical gravitate towards it because they like that kind of truth. And to have someone who comes from that universe be have to have such um, a disconnected worldview from observable reality is... You know, it sometimes it makes me doubt myself. Like, am I thinking? What am I missing? Right. Am I, what am, am I missing something? And then you kind of lay out the information again, and then you hear their arguments and go, "No, they're they're just being dumb about this." No, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's been a, a rubber stamp for the Biden administration for Chuck Schumer, and Nancy yeah. Pelosi. You know, and and he claims or, or tries to claim that that he's independent. You know, that he's a moderate. Well, that's absolutely not the case. I mean, Kirsten Cinema 
demonstrated what an independent looks like. You know, she protected us from the worst prospects or the worst aspects of of the Democrat Party. She and Joe Manson, we have to thank for for protecting our country from the, the Build Back Bankrupt bill, from blowing up the filibuster to pass the Freedom to Cheat Act. He voted for all of that. Yeah. So he's demonstrated that he is a rubber stamp for the radical left. That's why we've got to get rid of him. That's why I'm running, and I'm confident that we can get it done. We can beat him, but we've got to put our best foot forward. Someone that has a proven record of standing where Arizonans stand on conservative issues and a proven record of being able to win in a challenging general election. I, uh, as the, this is really less about, you know, I, I, I'm pretty certain all of us are pretty sure about where you are on the top 10 conservative positions. Let's just run through them real quickly. Yeah. Build a wall as soon as possible. Enforce border laws. Absolutely. Um, pro-life all the way. 100%. Right. Um, uh, do the crime, pay the time. Absolutely. Uh, strict enforcement of the laws. Absolutely. Nation of laws. Cornerstone of Western civilization. Right. Um, declare war on the cartels. Yep. Declare them terrorist organizations. Bring the full weight of the federal government against the fentanyl coming into the country. Absolutely. And uh, harsh penalties against China for its bad behavior. Absolutely. Okay. Um, where are you on the Russia-Ukraine thing? I would have voted against the $40 billion. It's $40 billion that we don't have, but we can and should find ways to support the freedom fighters in Ukraine. Who How are, would you support them? Well, you know, there are a, a number of different things. First and foremost, I think it starts with the Biden White House and, and stopping the failures that they've demonstrated. I mean, you mentioned the disastrous withdrawal from Afghan, Afghanistan, the chaos at the southern border, all of these policies have projected weakness, not yeah, to mention right. destroying domestic energy production, You know, shutting down right. the Keystone XL pipeline, right. stopping drilling on public lands, all of that empowered and, and emboldened <laughs> Russia and our other uh, adversaries. So we've got to project strength at every turn, the exact opposite of what Biden has done, and then provide a logistical support in ways that we can. But there were just... There were items in that that forty billion dollar budget that I, I thought it was just it was too much. Uh, so we need to find ways to stand with them and support them, but not with that forty billion dollar bill. You know, it's funny. There's a kind of uh, there's a kind of ancient schoolyard wisdom. Um, there's a biological wisdom. You know, guys like me walking down the street, the way I look and the way I look around and just the way I am, I'm not a target. Guys go, yeah, this is going to be easier fish to fry. That's, <laughs> that's not right. a, that, right. yeah, he's 40 pound overweight middle-aged guy, but he might be really awful for a couple seconds and I don't want anything to do with that guy. <laughs> that's right. But there's a wisdom to, um, you know, our country, and this is what I, this gets back to me, being a baller when our country is being a baller it right. stops the bad actors and we've really got um you know russia china iran north korea and venezuela those are kind of the big uh the big bad players who are petrochemical states projecting awfulness or their financial uh you know ramifications of what china does that they're projecting around the world and i i feel like i was talking to somebody yesterday and they said well it's not all biden's fault and i go well, it actually is all yeah. Biden's fault because right. it's a collection of little things. It is the Keystone Pipeline. It is the, you know, look, the pipeline, um, uh, the Nord Stream, Nord Stream Pipeline. Yeah. yeah, that that's not even open yet. Right. But just signaling yeah. that we're going to okay this relationship of interconnected dependence 
um, is that's a weak move. It's exactly. a weak play. It's weak with our allies and it's weak with our adversaries. And so, the, you know, the world is always like in, in kind of a stasis. You know, I, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday as well, baby formula. The industry doesn't have a 20% capacity to make 20% more. The industry kind of grows to what the need is and it kind of adjusts within one or 2%, just right. like gas. Yep just like wood just like shipping exactly there's not all this capacity sitting around out there latently funded with someone's capital it doesn't right. work like no, that we've got just-in-time deliveries and yeah. there's no inventory sitting around everything is kind of it's a you know it's a it's an ecosystem it's right. all interconnected and when you mess with it, it it creates big problems right so um signal that you're gonna hamper domestic production signal that you're gonna open up uh, relationships that embolden bad players all you have to do is signal these things and the stasis that exists at any given time russia wants to do bad things or putin right at any given time china has a bunch of bad plans in play that someone's kind of holding somebody else off from doing because like oh it's going to cause these repercussions and then we back off and then all of a sudden all those dominoes start moving it's like a political jenga you right. know, intellectual yep. Jenga, and they just fall into the gaps. And we've been walking around haplessly for the last 18 months, creating all these open spaces for him to step into. Exactly. It, it is absolutely our fault what's going on. It is absolutely Biden's fault and the Politburo ding-dong kids he's got working for him. Right. But they're a bunch of morons, and they're wrong on everything. Right. Um, I hope, you know, our next senator goes there and affects huge change. I would, you know, hope that I think one of the most important things, it is a body of coalition, right? It's right. a body where it, it only functions if you build coalition. Right. Okay? But one of the most powerful things in that environment is the ability to be alone. Right. Exactly. Because that's very powerful. Right. And it's a negotiating ploy of my own. I'm almost always willing to walk away from any deal. Mm -hmm. It makes it hard to deal with me. Because I go, I don't need this. Right. I, I can go. Yep. Like, let's do it. I want to do it. But if not, you're not going to squeeze me. Right. We need a senator like that who's really willing to walk alone while building these coalitions. Exactly. And and and, and call people out. Yeah. I Talk to me about accountability. Yeah. No, absolutely. How do you bring accountability to the U.S. Senate? Oh, my gosh. No, we absolutely need accountability in our How government. do you do it? I mean, everybody's been been held without any uh, amount of accountability you know but to your first point you know i i think that that's exactly what we need is we need folks with with a backbone folks who are willing to to lead on these important issues you know and that's what i did in the state legislature when we had this 3.6 billion dollar budget deficit everybody said look we can't balance this budget you know the, the 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 establishment was fighting for for growing spending at a time and i said look we're not going to do this we cannot do this we've got to balance our budget we've got to pay down debt and 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 i stood on those issues and and i led on that on those issues and that's what i'll do in washington dc as well as i'll be that leader i'll be that change agent i'm not afraid to be the lone voice crying in the wilderness saying look we've got to enact fiscal responsibility we've got to grow our economy by getting the government out of the way we've got to follow the example that president trump set and as you mentioned you know to think of 
Putin invading Ukraine under President Trump, it absolutely would not have happened because he projected strength. So that's what we've got to do. But, you know, getting back to uh, to the question that uh, that you're asking on accountability, you know, I've already called for Joe Biden's resignation. You know, I mean, he absolutely is derelict in his duty. He swore an oath to the Constitution. And he's allowed an invasion at our southern border. You know, this has to stop. And heads need to roll in the administration. There's got to be accountability. We've got to make sure that we hold our elected officials to the same standard as everybody else as well. I look forward to introducing a bill in Congress that says, look, we're going to prohibit members of Congress from buying and selling individual stocks so they can stop enriching themselves I from insider trading. That. I thought that was already No, the case. they haven't. Nancy Pelosi actually fights against it every time because she's benefiting from it. Right. You know, it's, I'll, I'll call They're it basically the inside deal. traders. That's, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. So, no, we, we need accountability. And in Congress, we need our Congress to actually assert itself and to do its job. Yeah. You know, the, Cong the, the Constitution of the United States says that Congress shall have the authority to legislate and that authority shall not be delegated. And yet what have they done? They've turned over that legislating responsibility to the administrative branch. We've got to assert ourselves. To the executive. To, uh, exactly, yeah. to the yeah. executive. They issue these these regulations and they become law. Yeah, well, you know, I, I see it as this uh, infectious disease of cowardice. Right. I think they're cowards. Yeah. And it's like... Most senators, I would just be happy to punch them square in the face. I think they're lying sons of bitches. Uh, and, uh, and, I, and I hope if you make it through the herd, you don't become one of them. Exactly. Because they're duplicitous. And I look, I know there's duplicity to negotiation. I know there's two sides and there's a coming together and the zealots from both sides feel like there's too much compromise to do anything. I get that. But what I see is fail to act. So we push. It, it, we don't want to have anything but a 100% conservative record. So that we're thinking, worried about our next election. So we don't get some good work done with some people from across the aisle. Because we don't have big enough majorities in anything to get anything done. So there, there has to be some coming together. Um, I think the American people are really frustrated about that. I would be happy, and I'm super conservative. I'd be happy with an 87% conservative rating that got stuff done. Right. But I look at senators who've been seated for 12 years and have not accomplished one substantive anything. They've been a co-signer or a co-sponsor of a bunch of horseshit bills or they named 12 highways, three buildings, and a state park. All right. That's exactly. what I see for records. And if you go look at people's records, it's embarrassing. Like, you're in 100 of the 435 most powerful people powerful people in the most powerful wealthy well-heeled of uh, a willing to affect change group of humans who've ever existed you named 12 highways three buildings a courthouse one highway and you co-signed three pieces of legislation about gender equality in california it, obscene yeah it is you could shut down the united states senate and we would never notice. I wouldn't know the difference. It would actually be beneficial to yep. the American people. You know, Less I, noise. Yeah, no, Less absolutely. Noise. I mean, that's when you know our, our pocketbooks are most in jeopardy we're, is when Congress is in session. Let's elect you, and we'll pay you, and just stay home. Exactly. Don't do anything. <laughs> that's exactly right. So, uh, you know, I, I the other thing is I, I talk about this all the time. People say, what does the country need? And I get asked to go speak in these groups, and I've got people running for office, and they all say what they're going to do. And I get up, and I say, listen, I don't think you need to do a damn thing. 
I think everything we have and that we need exists. We need to start having the balls to follow through and 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 do what we have agreed to in the past. No, you're absolutely right. We've got to enforce our laws. Enforce and, our and, laws and, and be accountable. And like Barry Goldwater, you know, my aim is not to pass legislation. It's to repeal it. You know, we, yeah. we've got to repeal the Department of Education. We've got to repeal the Department of Commerce. We've got to get back to that limited role of the federal government that was anticipated under the Constitution. Let me, I want to unpack a couple of those things you yeah. just said, because when you say defund the Department of Education, repeal, I'm, repeal it. Well, right. Repeal yeah. it. The, the vast majority of Americans who haven't done this deep dive into politics and the, and the kind of game behind the scene, they're going, well, you can't get rid of the Department of Education. Right, right. I mean, it's the federal agency that helps oversee education in the United States. Right. That's to make sure um, little black kids in Alabama actually can go to public school. Department of Education. I mean, you, I mean, these these crazy religious people from Arizona, these Mormons are crazy. They want to undo these. That's what's going on in people's minds. And and if if you don't know that, I know it. Right, right. <laughs> and and so there, you know, talk to me. I, I guess we could unpack the Department of Education really quick, right? Right. Absolutely. Since its inception, it's gotten more money every year, and as it is nationalized, its uh, agenda and pressed it out into the states right are in every metric our capacity and our our proficiency has decreased in literacy and mathematics and history and civics right for the last 80 years right right yeah. i mean am i missing anything no there? no you're, you're absolutely right you know and, and so and they're really the department of the teachers union exactly. they're really not the department of education right. and, and that's the problem but 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 the larger problem is the fact that this is, under the Constitution, a, a, a responsibility of states it's an aberration. and, and local governments. You know, I, I mean, the Constitution makes very clear that the federal government has enumerated powers. Uh, you know, we can read about yep, it in the yep, Federalist Papers, yep. and, and the states' powers are broad and enumerated. Right. All those not specified in the federal are, go to the, the states. states and yeah. the people, you know, and, and, and so that's what we've got to get back to is the progressive era where they, they passed the 16th Amendment, the 17th Amendment. They grew the federal government far right. beyond the reach that our founding fathers anticipated it to have. We've got to push as much of the responsibilities of our government back to the lowest level of government where it's closest to the people, to the school boards, to the to the local governments and, and to the states where parents can actually have a voice. They can show up at their school boards and say, look, this is not the curriculum that I want taught in my schools. And then we need to empower parents even further with school choice so that they can yeah, take their the, kids out if the school it's board funny, is not the, uh, this, I, I've noticed the language has changed just in the last three months. They talk about the money being connected to the student. They've gotten rid of school they're, right. they're starting to stop with the buzzwords right you know you have all these buzzwords like defund the department of education or uh -huh. repeal the department of education well america hears that and thinks it's batshit crazy because they think the department of education is actually part of education right it's not it's not it's exactly. being done at the state and and school board level in uh in, in municipalities across the country the department of education bullies the school departments with money right and policy. Yeah, so they, they tax us beyond the level that they should be taxing us, they being the federal government, and then they hold the the resources out as the carrot to require the states to do what they want done uh, under the Constitution. They don't have the authority to mandate it, and so they, they use our tax dollars in order to entice that 
compliance with their policies. We've got to just end it, leave the tax dollars at the state level so they have the resources to provide the services that are needed under the state and local governments where they're more responsive to the people. We, we see this when the government reacts to problems that are real. So clearly during the Reconstruction period, Jim Crow and uh, prior to the Civil Rights Movement, clearly there was heavy pockets of deep-seated racism and bias in this country that was not treating people and was disenfranchising Americans. Right. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, I don't even think it's shameful. It just was it's shame on them. It's not shameful to me. I, I, I had no part of that shame right. on them. I, I, I don't carry the sins of my father. That's, I think that's an American thing. We don't right. get punished for our ancestors behavior. Um, that's Western civilization, right? Right, exactly. Uh, that's Roman tribalism uh, would punish you for your family. Go right. kill him and kill his whole family. Right. We don't have to want to deal with those bad people again. These government reactions, uh, and they may be well-intentioned, like the ATF. Right. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms was founded to deal with prohibition. Right. And... And what are they? There's no prohibition there's now. No prohibition. So now they're the tax and license department, right? Right. And uh, and you know I'm in I'm in the middle of a battle with the ATF right now. The ATF um, is this. They're not very accountable, and they can affect you if you have anything to do with the firearms business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's overwhelming, and it's really frustrating because they're a federal entity, and they kind of answer to nobody. Right. Exactly. And and then what happens is each administration gets in whenever you get a kind of lefty administration with these kooky Marxists, they put some kooky Marxists in charge or they go tell the people and say, OK, now here's what we want you to do. Lean on everybody. We want to get rid of half the uh, uh, FFL holders in the United States so we can constrain the flow of guns getting to Americans. Right. You're like we can't pass any laws. So yeah. let's do this. Exactly. It's bizarre. Um, and we see it with the Department of Education. So I can see the zeitgeist for it coming into existence. Right. Where I think if you and I had a discussion in 1955 or in 1936 and we went on a road trip and saw what was going on in pockets of the South and other places, sure. not in the South, we would go, yeah, we need to do something at the federal level to make sure all kids have equal access to education. Right. It's smart. Right. It's the right thing to do. And that's what happened. Right. Then the mission got accomplished, and then what do they do? Exactly. And that's what they've been doing for the last, you know, 50 years. Right. Is uh, some other kooky agenda we didn't put them there for. Exactly. So it's like self-sustaining madness. Right. No, and, and the and the, bureaucrats, the bureaucratic state has grown so large. Like you said, I mean, it's this faceless, unelected, unaccountable, deep state. And even when you have a, a strong conservative like Donald Trump, uh, elected president, they continue to wield the power. Yeah. And that's the problem. And they crushed him. And they crushed him. You know, they uh, told us no. They exactly. Because he was us. He was us. He was yeah. our representative, yep. uh, the only representative that we have as a national body 
in the federal government, and and they told him to pound sand. You they, know, and that's they, the problem with this administrative state. They crushed him under dubious uh, circumstances, and we're not even allowed to talk about exactly. it. Exactly, right. unbelievable. Right, it's unbelievable what's happened. Yeah, you know, I mean, not to mention, you know, the IRS, you know, being wielded and weaponized by the Obama administration to target conservatives. You know, that's the problem with a, a bloated federal bureaucracy. We've got to shrink it down so to those enumerated As powers. one senator, you go in there, how can you affect the crushing of the uh, uh, Department of Education? Because the idea of getting rid of a federal department to me, not only is it dreamy, it seems like a pipe dream well it's like what ronald reagan said right that uh, you know a, a new government program is the cl closest thing to eternal life on earth uh, you know that we'll ever see you know and so you're absolutely right that it, it is a challenge but that's the the goal that we should be working towards is to get back to that fundamental role of the federal government the enumerated powers and we should do that well protecting our country from invasion We've got to make sure that we build the wall, that we properly fund the border patrol, that we make permanent the remain in Mexico policy. I would also add an E-Verify requirement, mandatory for every employer across the country so that we can stop this invasion that's creating chaos and giving cover to the drug cartels. You know, So we've got to just champion these issues. Uh, that's what I'll do. I'll be a voice for these issues. I'll use the bully pulpit, but I'll also use every leverage point that we have at our disposal. We've got the budget reconciliation process. I'll say, look, you know, President Biden, if you want to pass a budget and fund the government, well, then we've got to secure the borders. We've got to make sure that we actually are protecting our country from invasion by using those tools in the toolbox, then we can move the dial. And I'm the only candidate that doesn't require on-the-job training. I've been in this legislating environment. I know how it works, and I've been effective at it, and that's what I'll do in the United States Senate. You know, uh, we see uh, every now and then you see a, a bold little group create a government shutdown, right? And we all kind of laugh of it, laugh at it out in the sticks because it's clear all the employees right. who get their time off, they all get their pay, right? So basically, you're giving government employees a vacation. Um, nothing's going to stop. You're going to continue doing everything. It's a kind of big joke. I'm wondering when someone's going to be a baller and be really willing to shut the government exactly. down. Exactly. Because that's what I think is required. I think it's an amazing time to be a U.S. senator. I honestly think it's a useless position in many ways. Uh, and when we're split 50-50, it's a big damn deal. Right. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I haven't seen the Senate do anything bold in my lifetime. Right. Okay? Um, uh, I, I think uh, there's a discussion to be had about Roe v. Wade. Let's talk about it a little bit, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Um, give us your, you know, two sentences. That are clearly, you're going to be a, a pro-life candidate. Talk to us just a little bit yeah, about that really quickly. Absolutely. Like I said, you know, when I was in the state legislature, I actually introduced legislation that was successful to defund Planned Parenthood here in Arizona. You know, I think that we've got to protect the most innocent among us. I mean, it's clear in our founding documents that that we understand as a country that our government exists to protect these individual enumerated rights, the life of the, the rights of life, liberty, and property in the pursuit of happiness. That's what we've got to do as uh, the federal government, as the state government. Uh, we've got to protect the most innocent among us. And so that's what I did at the state legislature. And I'm so excited about the idea that Roe versus Wade could very likely be overturned this year, you know, we used to pray that Roe would be overturned in our lifetime. Now we're saying in a number of days or weeks, we can actually see this happen. This is a tremendous triumph of good over evil. 
And I think it's also going to be something that can be beneficial for us in our electoral politics. A lot of folks like to say, or, or, or from the left, that this is going to be something that will help Democrats. I disagree. And I'll tell you why. It's because the overwhelming majority of Americans believe that we need more restrictions on abortion. We should not have the abortion on demand that we have been handed down by the 1973 ruling that is more liberal than all of Europe. You can end the baby's life minutes before the baby takes her first breath. I mean, this is brutal and it's wrong and it's infanticide. So I am so excited about this ruling. I look forward to it. And it will push that debate back to the elected representatives of the people where it belongs. The idea was that the 50 states, the Republican model, the idea of a republic was that the 50 states could have 50 independent little experiments going on and we could emulate success through the competition, the free market competition of ideas. And states could emulate the success they saw around the 50 other, the 49 other experiments going on, or 33 at the time, right. <laughs> and, and, and could see the best ideas. It's the competing marketplace of ideas. You said something very telling just a moment ago, uh, which means there's a, and this is something conservatives are really bad at, and pro-life people are really bad at at this, what I'm getting ready to throw in your lap. And I think it's a nuance that if you don't discuss, you lose a great many women and centrists over. There seems to be, when polled, about 70% of Americans are against abortion after viability. Right. We talk about abortion in these very binary terms, right? Mm -hmm. Pro-life or pro-choice. Because that's what's good for the news, and that's the argument they want us to have. But when you ask women who are pro-choice self-determination it's my body my choice when you ask them about late-term abortions they're like 95 98 against it exactly why because they're fucking human beings That's and they exactly know right. better and they're the yep. givers of life right. and they really do know that even past their fuzzy hair and their unpicked mustache so when you when you get back to uh the it turns out there's a spectrum right and so I, I was talking with a good friend of mine, a dear friend of mine who's Catholic the other day, and they are very pro-life. And then while we're in their discussion, they say, yeah, but before the heartbeat, I'm there's room for my compromise. And I'm like, oh, cool. hold on a second, because in the pro-life world, you just broke the rules. Right. And, and, and so when you talk to people who self-identify as pro-life, there's a very big spectrum. And when and when you talk to people who are pro-choice, you find out there's a gigantic spectrum. Exactly. And I don't hear that in our public discussion because you'd get crucified by the pro-lifers for having the discussion. Right. Uh, but it was just hidden in your language a moment ago. Um, I think that Americans, the vast majority, which is about 70%, and we have about 15% zealots on the left and 15% morally righteous on the right. The 70% in the middle agree on serious limitations based on a few major triggers of the life cycle of this conundrum for our country. Right. And it seems that's where legislation... Should, I don't think there should be any legislation about it, quite frankly, at the federal level. It's uh -huh. not It's not the federal government's job. Pound sand. Right. But these discussions need to be ha being made out here in Arizona. And it need to happen in Tuscaloosa. And they right. need to happen in Los Angeles. Right. And there's going to be a variety of things that 
are going to push your moral sensitivities and there's going to be a bunch that push my moral sensitivities and none of us are going to be totally happy happy but it's got to be better than what we're seeing right now and that's the key and that's what i think many in the pro-life movement have recognized is that we cannot take this position that moving the dial and protecting life is something that we should celebrate even if it doesn't go far enough we should those of us that believe that life begins at conception, yes, we should keep fighting for that, but we cannot let the perfect be the enemy of the good. If we can absolutely protect right. more life I think by supporting legislation, we need and, to do and it. And I think that's a phrase that will, if if you find a way to incorporate that in your message, I, I, I think it really enfranchises your centrist voter and your female voter who doesn't want to be bullied around by religious ideologues because there are a vast majority a vast number of conservatives like myself who are not religiously bound. Um, we're just, it turns out we're really Judeo Christian spinoffs that are pretty conservative. Right. Exactly. And, and, uh, and we don't want to be clubbed over the head with one person's sect of Christianity or another person's sect of Judaism or whatever. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a reasonableness to your tone that if you find a way to allow to happen, it, it'll, it also stops, crazy lefties from saying you want to boss women around and tell them they don't have charge over their body and the truth is none of us really have 100 percent charge over our body none of us do it's a f they've been told a lie uh -huh. and, and then when someone else starts getting involved you know, I mean, are, is it legal to commit suicide? Right. No, that's a good point. Is right. it legal to commit suicide? It's not. It's not. Is it legal to commit suicide if you're driving down the road? No. I mean, a lot of people would say, well, I think, oh, you know, there's a discussion. I'm just having this. I'm, I'm playing a, the intellectual wants to have the discussion because, this, you know, it's funny. This has been kind of mental masturbation for the last 40 years. And all of a sudden it's like it's upon us uh -huh. because of Donald Trump's. Supreme Court nominees, right? They're getting ready to not say abortion should be illegal. They're getting ready to potentially say this is not a power of the federal government. Exactly. We shouldn't be legislating from the bench. And this began a long spiral that has politicized the Supreme Court out of viability. Exactly. And we've now abdicated the responsibility of the elected responsible members of Congress from doing their job. And now it's these unelected people in black robes who make these decisions. Right. And you can't unelect them. Yeah, they're just being honest and reading I, the Constitution. They're being honest, saying, <laughs> hey, you know, and, and you know, it's funny in Alito's uh, uh, thoughts, there's a a very big tone of we don't think the laws should be changed or the state of abortion in America should be changed, but we do believe this decision is not done at the federal level. Exactly, and not, here. not at the Supreme Court. Fascinating point, and it's a subtlety that is really lost on crazy kind of unhinged lefties. Uh -huh, right, exactly. But it, I think it's important to have, uh, you know, you revealed something now. Now, you're a Mormon guy with light blue eyes, a super <laughs> white guy, probably needs to put some sunscreen 50 on when you go to the beach. <laughs> That's right. And uh, you've got nine kids, so you put your money where your mouth is, clearly. And uh, and you, I saw, a, I heard the best breakdown of the spectrum of, hey, I would love to be able to snap my fingers and, 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 and have this be a, there's no such thing as abortion, but it's a group of people with a plurality of ideas and there is a place in the middle that protects a whole bunch of folks, right. a whole bunch of little humans. Let's get there. Yeah, exactly. And like, if, we, if we, we can get that improvement and save babies' lives, right. well then that's something we should celebrate. I, I think it's, um, 
I'm actually I'm a little I'm kind of a little taken aback. I'm 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 kind of pushing everybody on this issue now because it's so forefront and I've got a 16-year-old daughter and we were talking about this and she thought that I was crazy right-wing about uh abortion and she thought she was pretty left and as we talked for half an hour we were both standing on the same line. Right. And she had said to me, it was really, she said, well, I'm, I think it's right, women's right to choose, blah, 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 blah. She said, but I don't know about after the heartbeat. Right, exactly. I'm like, okay, well, that's six and a half weeks. Exactly. And that makes you a nut job to your, to your typical <laughs> exactly, uh, pro-choicer. You're absolutely right. To a pro-choicer, a yeah. heartbeat makes you a nut job. Right. And she kind of looked at me, I said, sweetheart, we're, we're standing on a really almost identical line. We almost have zero disagreement. Right. Because... You're actually a really good human being, and right. you care about life. Exactly. Good for you. Right. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you know what good I mean? For you. But no, it took great. us. It took us a little while to get there because I was like the old, you know, white guy, right. opinionated white guy, and she's in a right. public school. Uh, yeah. And, and and then we found out we were standing right next to exactly. each other. Exactly. What, what a great story. You was, know, that's awesome. Well, I just love that you and I just had this conversation, and uh, I got some nuance out of you that we don't get out of conservatives. I think it's. Uh, I think you could get clubbed over the head and you got to find a way to tease this conversation out of conservatives because if we don't have it, we lose 25% of the people. They right. just go, yeah, you're a nutter. Yeah, exactly. And you're an ideologue too. Right. They're right. crazy with a vagina hat on and you're crazy too. Yeah. And they stop listening. <laughs> right. And I, I noticed it. The reason I'm saying this is because I was, I was talking to my daughter and she goes, do you know any woman who's, who's pro-life? And as I start, so I started talking to women in my life, asking sure. them about it. Turns out they're all very pro-choice up to the heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and I had uh, one or two of them who are, who are, who say they're pro-life all the way. Uh -huh. But when you, when you challenge them with some ideas, they start being up to the heartbeat. And so I'm like, okay, that's a big line. Right. Ima imagine if someone said, okay, well, abortion is going to be legal in the United States but not after the heartbeat. Like everybody on the yeah. conservative side, we're like, okay, that's an amazing yeah, that's move. A huge, huge victory. Right. But, but, exactly. but it's fascinating to hear people who identify as pro choice uh, say that phrase. Yeah, absolutely. And I go, well, hold on. You, you know what you just said? Right. So, and, and then I heard in your language, you know, talking about there's some middle ground. And I think that's a great place to have conversation and, and keep yeah. people included. We have to be careful. I was going to, one of my questions I was going to ask you today yeah. was, um, what do we do to keep non, um, non-religious conservatives in the fold, uh -huh. which is a big central swath of the American public. And there's a, there's a, you know, that, that Reagan, that Reagan Republican, that middle, yeah, the, the moral majority, there, there, there's, there's a small centrist group in the middle uh -huh. that's not very religiously bound. They're very right. pragmatic and they, and they're, even if they believe in God and a higher power and maybe they were raised some religion that they don't practice now, and maybe that is still their moral compass. Right. They, uh, they don't filter everything through that. They sure. weigh it. Yeah, exactly. Well, How think, do we not lose them? Because yeah, no, that's a, really important. It absolutely is. And I think the way that we that we win those folks as well as other independents that might not actually be voting Republican is by, by pointing out that that freedom is what has created the the most amount of benefit uh, and prosperity for any individual across the entire world than any other government program, you know, and, and focusing on the fact that this is actually what can help people you can look to countries like venezuela like like cuba like the difference is the differences between north and south korea and you can see 
clearly that the policies that the left embraces of big government lead to destruction and poverty. And that's not what we want for the American people. We want to help individuals. And we do that by embracing these policies, these conservative policies of individual accountability, individual freedom, individual rights. And by, by doing that, then we can actually help people because so many people... This is all John Locke. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So many people get get captivated by, by the, the by the desire to to help people through government programs. And it's a it's a good and natural desire to want to help other people. But you've got to look at the results. When you see that the results of these government programs are actually harming individuals, then they become conservatives and they embrace these policies that are actually beneficial. Well, that's the amazing thing about this is, you know, people, you know, conservative uh, liberals like to say, follow the science. Right. When they have their, except except they all have liberal arts degrees and they were bad at chemistry and math exactly right, right. <laughs> you know they were they were bad at chemistry and math so they became literature majors right, right? And they became attorneys because exactly. they were no good at math right so they became wordsmiths right and yet they want you to follow the science yeah the science uh, in uh, of our you know they say all good science starts with great observation mm -hmm. okay the great observation of our species is that. Uh, interfering Vol thousands of volunteers going to the Galapagos Islands and getting all the turtles to the ocean uh, hurts the turtles. Right, exactly. Okay. Yep. And uh, that that example to us is super easy to comprehend. Right. Why? Right. right? Yep. Um, because the slow ones make it there. Yeah. And now the slow ones get a chance to breed. Exactly. Not good. Right. Because that actually knocks down the holes. Well, how could it hurt the species to have some extra? Well, then the slow ones are slowing the breeding down. Mm -hmm. That's bad. Right. right. Um, everything that we do with this big government hammer is like that. Exactly. And so we see, you know, we see the Reconstruction, Jim Crow, African-Americans have a higher rate of marriage. They have a higher rate of literacy than white people. And then as soon as we see the federal government engage their families post-World War II, we see this dramatic decline in the success of that subgroup within our country. Right. We see a group that was getting enfranchised, succeeding at an amazing rate and jumping right back into the great American story. And then we see the modern white liberal government intervention crush the community and steal their steal their culture right yeah you know i mean lbj he said he, he was going to eradicate poverty in 10 years with the great society and, and you know we, we still have poverty we haven't we haven't moved the needle we threw trillions of dollars deal, at it. but instead we we eliminated the, his great society destroyed the inner city inner city family and now that is actually expanding even beyond the inner city and so these right. Government programs, while supported by many with good intentions, right. have created damage right. to the American people. And, and that's what we as conservatives have to be able to articulate because far too many that, that don't understand these views and these perspectives think that, well, you, you just don't have a heart or you're just for big business or there's some other reason why you're supporting these policies. Well, in reality, the conservative doctrine is grounded in what is best for individuals. Give them their freedom. Give them that ability to provide for themselves. You know, the big government policies, they, 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 they destroy 
the individual uh, vitality. Vitality. They, they're yeah. demoralizing. Well, you they crush your souls. They crush your souls. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and that's what what the left has done. Yeah. I mean, you look to Venezuela and Cuba. These used to be strong economies. Now they can barely even provide the most basic necessities of life for right. their citizens. We don't have to guess about exactly. this stuff. Right. The thing is, you got to read, and you can't listen to NBC, exactly. CBS, ABC, right. CNN, MSNBC because they're just lying propagandists. That's absolutely right. Um, we have to keep doing these shows. We have to, uh, you know, one of the best people I have ever heard articulate these failures of leftism is Charlie. Oh, absolutely. He does a tremendous job. At He's it. great. And uh, as many talents as you bring to the table, uh, I, I'm, I, those are, I'm sure, things that have rubbed off if you didn't have them in your own right. Um, I've, I have not run across too many people in my entire life who are able to arc- articulate as well as he is, as right. quickly as he is. Exactly. The failures. And, and the thing is, as conservatives, our ideas win. Right. And, and they win in spite of 18 to 20 years of indoctrination of our children. Exactly. And, and, uh, and, and that brings me to our final point today I wanted to talk to you about. So we have a, a game of whack-a-mole going on. And, and everybody who runs for office ends up playing whack-a-mole. Because you get sucked into the whack-a-mole game. Because that's the game. It's the way it's set up. Right. And we fight all these battles, and we have all the agita about it, and we get all worked up about it. We have all these battles, and we have some wins and some losses. And in the end, we've relinquished the Great War. And the Great War, and and, and I... I say this, and I'm not one says, oh, for the children. It's for the children. Oh, no children can cheer. Put the helmet on. the. <coughs> Excuse me. I am, you know, my kids are the ones that I get, like, helmets dropped off new in boxes uh, at my front door because my kids don't wear helmets when they ride their bikes. <laughs> and, you know, my kids fall and bang and right. do all the banging to each other and bump and get bruised. And I, I, I didn't want a big bubble around my kids. Exactly. And I guess... Uh, We've relinquished the entire war to leftists. Right. And then kids graduate from college and they show up in the workplace and we hope to convert them into conservatives. And the truth is we do an astoundingly decent job at it, all things considered, because our ideas are better. Right. So articulating the ideas quickly so that you can get them out there in really palatable ways, um, you did something very subtle talking about abortion that is powerful and that may not be a Republican primary talking point, uh, but it may be the thing that can win. Um, the education of our children, every, even as critical, let them get banged up, don't wear helmets, um, even if you were a staunch disciplinarian and don't seem like a lovey feel-good dr spock kind of human the fact that we have relinquished the schoolroom to lefties is one of the biggest miscalculations of conservatives right and it's the big silver lining to the covid cloud is to get the mama bears and we need papa bears too absolutely Dads need to be there and senators need to be there when they have the Maricopa County or the city of Phoenix school board gatherings. We need senators and congressmen there. We need these local petty 
direct democracy people, we need them knowing that grownups are paying attention because they're doing crazy stuff behind our back. And they've been doing it for a hundred years and we've been letting them. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, we lost the college campuses in the sixties, you know, then, then we lost the, uh, the uh, other institutions like uh, the media, and the, we FBI. Lost the FBI, we lost you know, Hollywood. Then we lost the, the, the schools, you know, and, and now it's even the corporate boardroom. I mean, this used to be, you know, the bastion of com capitalism and free markets. Yeah. Where, they're woke and woke too. How uh, is that? And, and now, so we've lost every institution. Yeah. So, you know, I tell people, look, politics, uh, we, we all know what Andrew Bar Breitbart said, right? Politics is downstream from culture. We've got to do everything in our power in every aspect of our lives to to educate, to win the hearts and minds of the American people. That freedom is what is in the best interests of all of us. And we've got to fight against the radical left and what they're doing to try and destroy that freedom, that individuality. You know, and by doing that, we can protect and preserve our country for the rising generation for the next generation but it's going to take everything that we've got like you've said we've got to show up at the school boards i was thrilled to see that you do have a, a spotlight now shining on what's going on in our school districts that uh, you know critical race theory has been allowed to be taught you know mark kelly actually voted to allow critical race theory in our schools We've got to be teaching our kids to, to love our country, to understand and respect the founding principles that made our country great, not the reverse. And that's what the radical left has been doing. That's what they're trying to do. And they'll continue to do it if we continue to let our guard down. So you're absolutely right. This is an exciting development that resulted from parents being able to see what was being taught inside the classroom. We've got to make sure that we teach the rising generation why America is the greatest country in the history of the world, notwithstanding our flaws. And we've got to protect and preserve those freedoms for generations to come. It's powerful that we communicate to the folks as we start this battle into the schools. It's powerful to communicate. Listen, the weight of our ideas have been proven out over 200 years. Their right. ideas are better. And here's why. Individualism, self-determinism, accountability. Okay? All exactly. of those things. Um, and that's why we're willing to go in. And stop the propaganda. And they say, well, you're just wanting to propaganda, propagandize your way. And say, well, that's one way to look at it. The other way is one bit of information is actually wrong. Exactly. And that's not actually education. Right. And one bit of information is actually correct and historically accurate and based on empirical observation. Everything of the Reformation and scientific enlightenment that changed the modern world in the late 1700s right ours is based on that exactly the other is based on the same approach of the salem witch trials right it's in in devoid of all fact all feelings emotion and, and it's uh it's the pitchfork crowd exactly and that's what's going on it's bizarre in 2022 we have the vagina hat wearing pitchfork crowd of lunatics who are willing to harass judges and burn down buildings De devoid of all facts screaming their right like a faith-based cult exactly with no facts and and then their opinion gets equal weight to our opinion right and i and so we have to make the distinction say no these are not two equal opinions being weighed out we have our opinions too exactly i'm 100 percent pro-life right but there's some there's another place that's not my opinion that's factually based right 
that serves people, humans, our culture. And I, I, and I think that's the fight we need to be, that's the war we need to be having because it's the only way we win. Because what's happened now is the corporate boardrooms who used to be full of cigar smoking uh, capitalists, right? they're wokeity-woke. Right. And everybody's wokeity-woke. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, listen, I don't know if you saw the documentary about Eddie Gallagher, but there's a, there's a fight going on in the special forces community. Uh, You've got your cadre who are older. They're not wokeity-woke. They've been in combat 10 times. And you got your youngsters coming up who are kind of wokeity-woke. They're right. very process-driven. And the other guys are mission and outcome-driven. Exactly. And, and there's a culture clash going on right you know i'm concerned about wokeity woke tier one operators also absolutely yeah it's it's every it's institution everywhere. you know and i think as conservatives because we do value the individual you know we have taken the approach of look you know i'm gonna let corporate america do what corporate america is going to do you know i'm, I'm gonna worry about about me you know democrats on the other hand they're all about command and control and so they've been able to organize and move on each of these organizations you know right. we as conservatives we've got to recognize that we've got to we've got to we've got to win the battle in many different areas of the culture not just in politics so we've got to engage you know i like to tell people look you know coach a t-ball team find ways to mentor young kids in your community that's what we need to do is be actively engaging in every aspect of our community to teach people to win the hearts and minds to tell people why conservative principles are good and in the best interest of all americans and all individuals all around the world i mean these principles that were established in our constitution have been adopted by modern countries all over the country all over the world everyone changed everyone. the world it changed the world it actually, empowered the individual the ideas of our constitution liberated right all recorded history of enslavement exactly the because we were all everyone it was the norm exactly white people irish people everybody everybody, everybody was, was a serf were or a slave or a subject exactly right <laughs> well it's uh it's fat you know i have a i get occasionally asked to go talk to schools and kids and i come in with my with my role and i talk about 1801, 1805, Barbary Coast Wars, Thomas Jefferson, the liberation of North Africans right. uh, from pirate slavery and Muslim slavery that had been going on there. And I work my way through the Civil War. When I have my little quick talk about that with people, kids are blown away. And you can see, like, I can get a whole room of junior high kids or a whole room of high school kids and we're all like rolling their eyes and can't wait for the, you know, make out session out after school. <laughs> I can get them absolutely dead silent, like wide eyed staring wow. because our story is amazing. Exactly. And people are not telling our story. That's absolutely right. And we have to get out there and talk about, you know, hey, this isn't just our opinion and we're not trying to propagandize you. The this experiment has been tried and we know the outcome exactly and they're recycling stuff that's been tried and we know that outcome too that's absolutely and, right. and so if you know your history yeah we can give you some examples exactly and, and, and it doesn't have to be pole pot it's there's a lot of other examples glaring along the way absolutely and, and if we are staying educated um that's how we win this yeah. war i'm not worried about the battle Right. I'm not worried about these battles because you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. I want to win the war. Exactly. And the war is a bunch of young patriots who love their country growing up and understand individual freedom allows for greatness and, uh, and, and groupthink 
crushes the soul. Crushes the soul. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. It destroys who we are. Exactly. It's demoralizing. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, fun having you in. Likewise. I hope I didn't talk over you too much. I feel uh, uh, I had fun chatting with you, and I think it's great for people to get a chance to hear, <coughs> excuse me, nuance come out about these really polarizing issues that are always painted so starkly. Right. And uh, and I think it's uh, I think it's courageous to have personal views that we're willing to see. I don't want to say compromise, but we'll, we're willing to see a variety of humans' needs and possibilities along the way, and our willingness to kind of move the needle in the right direction and not be all or nothing. Exactly. Because the scorched earth politics that we see right now it doesn't serve any of us well. Right. When so many of us talk and find out we have really similar kind right. of takes anyways, it's uh, sad that we're also at each other's throats. Right. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, the, the great example is Ronald Reagan. You know, he was someone who was able to bring so many together and, and lead in a conservative manner. And then he was able to win re-election by winning every state but Minnesota. You know, he was the great communicator. He was able to win the hearts and minds of the American people by teaching them that we need peace through strength. We need to fight against the the communism. We need to win the Cold War. And he was successful at doing that. You know, when he stood up and said, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear, tear down, down this wall. wall. And yeah. everybody was saying, you cannot do that. He said, yes, I can. I'm going to stand for freedom. I'm and going to fight. And it happened. Unbelievable. That's what we need to do. We need yeah. folks that have that backbone, that courage. He was being a baller. He was being a baller. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So uh, I hope uh, as you negotiate your way through this uh gauntlet you're getting ready to go through uh, <coughs> that you're going through i hope that you um if you end up popping out the victor on the other side and i always have to cage my words because you know i talk to a whole group of folks um i hope if you're victorious i wish you the best of luck i hope that you go there and you're an absolute baller because that's what we need we don't need any more guys that want to play ball we yep. need guys that want to be ballers right because that is where we can hold people accountable and hold people to the fire. You know, I think one of the best things that could happen is if the Senate, what if the Senate passed no legislation and it just started going after corruption Absolutely. in the government? That Said, hey, huge. you know what? We've, <clears throat> we've hurt the American public enough with our inaction. We're going to clean up our own house. Right. That, would, that would be amazing. That would be awesome. Yeah. Be absolutely tremendous. And, <clears throat> gosh. And you'd see people all of a sudden start as soon as there's some accountability, it lights a fire for right activity. Exactly. Um, so, I, you know, I think about it all the time, like, what would I do? And I'm, I'm, I am I'm, know as you kind of envision this, one is you plug it in the machine and you start to nudge the machine. And I see almost everybody who does that gets steamrolled by the machine. Right. And the other part is you'll light a fire and see who comes to help put it out and then see if you can burn something that is is, is bad. Uh, yeah, destroy something that needs to be rotted out. Yeah, get yep. something, you know, get rid of the Department of Education. How do you right. actually do that? Right. That's exactly. a big deal. Right. Well, I wish you the very best of luck. Tell anybody who's uh, jumped in and listened. Uh, how they can donate to your campaign. Absolutely. It's at votejustinolson.com. We're also on all the social media platforms. We'd be very honored to have the support of any in your audience. Like I mentioned, I'm the proven conservative candidate. I'm going to go back to Washington, D.C. I'm going to be a fighter for our conservative values. Tell me how you spell your name first and last. It's Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, Olson's O-L-S-O-N. All right. There it is, folks. Hey, thanks for coming in. I appreciate having you here. Thanks um, so much, Greg. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Uh, hey guys, you know, that's the deal. Uh, it's fascinating sitting down 
and uh, getting a chance to chat with folks who are taking a shot at jumping into the halls of power, who already sit in some of the halls of power, citizens who are uh, wanting to kind of lead in the great experiment. It's one of the great pleasures of my life that I've found in my middle age being able to do this. I hope you guys appreciate sitting in for these deep dives as we jump into some nuance and have more than an are you pro-life or are you pro-choice type discussion about something that is human life. I think it deserves more than 12 seconds. And and, uh, and it gets you into some uncomfortable area. <coughs> I hope as you're sitting there and you get nudged into uncomfortable zones, you don't just flip away. And uh, uncomfortable is where we learn about ourselves. It's where we find new ideas, new places. And the whole idea of human discussion is to move each other's needle a little bit. We've gotten to this point where I talk, you talk, you never change, I never change. Nothing happens. We waste each other's time. It's mental masturbation. The ideas, the competitive marketplace of ideas is what it's all about. You sit down with your soldiers lined up. I sit down with my soldiers lined up. And we push our soldiers into each other and we see who the ideas are better. You find some common ground and sometimes you learn and you go, Oh, I never thought about it that way. Good for you. Uh, and if you're not willing to do that, it means you're a coward. It means you're ignorant, and it means you're afraid. So my advice to you, old old Chinese saying, is uh, embrace chains for it is your future. <coughs> Lean in to the uncomfortable when you're having these conversations. When you're doing it at Thanksgiving, you know, the holidays are a few months away. Lean in. And have these conversations, and if you're not going to have them, who's going to? And you find out, you might find out your crazy niece who just got back from Columbia University, after you ask her a few questions, you might find out she's not a nutty lefty after all. She's maybe just a little left of center, and you might find out you got a ton of common ground with her, but you got to take the time to kind of have the conversation and make each other a little uncomfortable and do it politely. And uh, you find out a lot of us are. A hell of a lot more like than we actually think we are. And we've been forced into one camp or the other, either blue or red, and it might not be that stark. I think if you don't do that, you're a coward. If you're not willing to test your own ideas and have softballs thrown at them to see if it knocks over your milk cans, I think you're a chicken shit. So I encourage you to, to be audacious and be a baller, even if you just vote, just work your job, and you just take care of your family. You can be a baller doing that too. I think being a baller is the call of the day. Be a baller in that you're willing to put yourself out and have your ideas tested. And you will either find they stand up to the challenge or they nudge somebody else who walks away wondering. That's a good thing. What else are we supposed to do? We're all perfect. We have it all figured out. We're all perfect. And then we, don't, we, we talk, but we never need to change. We just are who we are. That's it. We're done. It's got to be more than that. And I hope if you hang out and you watch the show, I'm nudging you a little bit and my guests nudge you a little bit and you hear me nudging them a little bit. And uh, the whole point is to see if we can move each other's needle a little bit, see where somebody stands and see the, the strength and merit of their ideas. That's the people we're voting for. We're sending the, you know, these hallowed halls of power to hopefully do the right thing for all of us as citizens out here in the provinces. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Um, 
this American experiment is never over and we have to keep fighting the good fight. So uh, if uh, you guys want to reach out to me, you guys know you can always reach me on my cell phone, 480-227-2399. You can text me. Um, if you want to do something to change the world, go to a local school board meeting and do one thing. Force yourself to stand up and ask a question at least once during the meeting. Be, a, be the pain in the ass who steps up and asks a question because it makes people concerned oh people are listening and be and stare at them make them a little be a baller make them go God, that guy's kind of intense man he's asking about the thing and and what happens is those leave little marks in people's soul and in their brains and when they go to make these decisions they go oh, i'm gonna have to deal with that guy be there nudging a little bit it's good and then force them to be courageous <laughs> all right Greg Medford Show. I'm Greg, your host. Thanks for stopping in. I'm out.